Good afternoon, good afternoon. It's another beautiful day in Detroit, Michigan. I'm your host, David Rabior. Thank you for joining the Detroit Buy, Hold, Invest podcast. It's always a good time. Today we're going to talk about a few things, so let's just get right into it. No need for the, uh, the fancy intro. It's Detroit, Michigan. And this is what we do. So I wanted to uh, take some time today to do a podcast uh, to talk a little bit about my experiences um, so far and thus far as a real estate investor. Uh, a lot of people reach out to me. Of course, my company is Detroit Bowel Invest. So there's no mistaking what I believe is the best strategy for investors. However, there's a ton of um, strategies out there for investors. And, you know, they come to me every day like, Dave, you know, here's what I have money-wise, and this is the type of financing that I have, and this is what my objectives are, and I'm always, you know, quick to, you know, look at that and analyze it and try to give objective advice and and, and recommend, you know, what I believe is the best thing. But, you know, lately I have a lot of people coming out to me, you know, and sitting down and having conversation and talking to me about how they want to do flips, and flips are cool and all that stuff. Flips are nice. Flips are fine. But at the end of the day, flips are not going to be the answer to the question or the answer to your monetary situation or solution to your problems or whatever. Flips are are mostly made to you know get capital, and with that capital, capital, I think that the best bet for you is to just take that money and then put it into stuff that's better, you know, which is rental properties or something that gains you equity over time, whether that be a rental property or your or your own personal home. You know, maybe you flip a house to, uh, you know, put money down on your own personal home that you might get for a deal, or maybe you might uh, buy like an Airbnb type of thing, which, you know, these days, I don't know that Airbnb is actually the best investment. And I can't really tell you that I feel 100% confident in Airbnb in most markets. But I want to talk a little bit about, you know, flipping and why I have this opinion. And uh, it all starts when I first got started in the real estate business. You know, everybody wants to make lump sums of cash and, you know, you're looking around and every now and then a deal falls and you look at it and say, hey, you know, if I bought this for, you know, $100,000 and I put $30,000 in it, you know, I I could sell this for $150,000 or maybe $160,000. And a lot of investors are not really able to project the actual cost uh, of doing business. And when you're doing a flip, you have to always be uh, conscious of the fact that, you know, you pretty much have to buy a house for 50% of what it's worth, you know, 50 cents on the dollar versus the ARV. And you also have to be really objective about the ARV, you know, and, and you have to be realistic about looking at a neighborhood and looking at the comps there and understanding that, you know, what you think, you know, everybody, when they get a house and they, they want to go flip it, they think they, they have the best result or they're going to hit the highest number that like has ever come in the neighborhood or or in the top couple of numbers that have ever come in the neighborhood. And the truth is you have to be very considerate of that and you have to be very cautious on how you think you'll land when it comes to the resale value. Because, you know, even though everyone's talking about this market being crazy and, you know, there's all this stuff going on, you know, I have, I have news for you, you know, post 2020, you know, the COVID thing, when we entered into 2021, uh, the market did things that, in my opinion, are um, financially irresponsible. And a lot of people and a lot of agents 
stood behind buyers and had them convinced that the only way that they could get a house was to overpay or give appraisal guarantees or, you know, come to the table with, you know, all cash offers and liquidate like their retirement accounts and stuff to get these good deals. But um, at the end of the day, like when you're flipping, you have to buy something for 50, 50 cents on a dollar. And you also have to look at the comps and say, okay, if all the comps are this much money, um, you know, on average, and then there's these one, you know, or maybe two that are, you know, excessively higher, or maybe 10 or 20 grand higher, um, you cannot plan to hit that high number. And if you do, it's a bonus and, you know, congratulations to you. And and I've done it many times, but most of the time you're going to find out that these appraisers, especially now they're coming in soft on these appraisals. And, you know, sometimes even in neighborhoods where you have multiple comps, uh, that justify the price of you being, you know, even conservative, you're not getting it, you know? And, um, that's something that people got to understand, you know, flipping is not, uh, the end all be all or the answer to becoming wealthy because you're buying these houses. And I'm going to give you an example. This is how it all started out for me. When I got into the real estate thing, I started buying houses and trying to make them into rentals and everything. And and then it got to the point where, you know, markets started producing houses that could be flipped for a profit. And because I had all the assets in play and you know, I had the money, I had people that knew how to do the work. I had, um, you know, the the skill to understand what to buy, when to buy and where to buy. And I had the understanding of the market and like kind of how to be realistic about the amount of money I could get. And with that being said, I, I went out and I bought like one house and then I started buying, you know, that house. And then I made my game plan and I made that house the focus of my time and attention. And I came up with a budget and I found contractors and we did the flip and it went on longer than I anticipated. You know, I originally thought we could get in and out of the house for, um, you know, less than 60 days. And, and that didn't happen because every time that we opened up a wall or every time that we um, did something new, we found a new problem. And then that new problem cost us time and it cost me money. And then the budget started to, you know, decrease. And I had to start taking away from certain things to put money into other things that I found that I wasn't necessarily anticipating. And next thing you know, I'm over budget and I'm over the amount of time that it took. And eventually we finished it up and I put it on the market and and sold it. And when I went to sell it, I did not hit the highest comp ever imaginable or, you know, I didn't hit the record. I'm not, you're not hitting a grand slam every single time. You got to go for the solid double, you know, or maybe a triple. That's what wins you the game. If you look at, you know, if you're a baseball fan, you know, hitting a home run, most guys, they're going to strike out a lot of times and then they hit a home run. Well, when the game is in the clutch, you know, you want a guy to hit a base hit or a double or a triple. That's what wins the game. You know, if he strikes out and throws a whiff on on a pitch and, and doesn't get the home run, then, you know, you're out and you get nothing. So, you know, I, I bought the house and, and I fixed it up, you know, really nice. And I had good contractors that I had a lot of confidence in. And, you know, we ended up getting it done and we sold it. And when we went to sell it, you know, we had uh, inspection. And, and then at the inspection, the buyers want, of course, on a retail sale, the buyers want, you know, a home warranty. They want, you know, every single thing fixed and they want to negotiate, you know, every single thing because they're first time home buyers a lot of times. And first time home buyers are, are super nervous. They're usually 
represented by agents that are, um, you know, they're not doing a lot of volume. So they have a ton of time to sit there and talk about a deal and try to get, you know, better deals for their clients. And, you know, so come, here comes the inspection. I lose a couple thousand dollars because I have to make certain repairs, which were, you know, reasonable. You know, nobody's gouging, but, you know, there's always a few G's at the end that you don't know about. And then, you know, after I make those repairs and we get the appraisal and, and then the appraisal comes in short. So then I have to rebuttal the appraisal, which, you know, I, I've had a decent amount of success with appraisals. But a lot of times with these appraisers, like you're not going to get an appraisal rebuttal. They're not going to change the valuation. You have to really know how to do that. And you have to deliver that message uh, to an appraiser where they don't like get offended because a lot of them have this god complex thing where they don't want to admit they're wrong and even when you prove them wrong if you don't word it the right way they can just turn their nose up at you and say no i'm not going to change the valuation then you have to go back to a lender and request that they throw out the appraisal all over again or you have to you know tell them no i'm not going to i'm not going to lower the price and the deal dies ultimately and then you're right back where you started so you know most deals when you're in a flip situation are a nail biter from the beginning all the way to the end you know and you know go going forward from that first flip you know i thought okay well i made it through it and and i still made i think on my first flip i made like 25 grand and i thought i was doing something special and i and and, it, and at the end of the day we did some nice work and it did come out nice and the people still live there today and this was like you know 2012 or 2013 when i did that first flip so um you know, then I got it in my mind that I was just going to flip houses. You know, I'm going to flip houses. I'm going to make all this money, and it's going to be so great. And uh, you know, what I ended up having to do was, in order for me to solidify a team of people who were there for me every time that I needed them, I had to make sure that I had enough houses where they couldn't get away from me. So now I'm I'm buying a house. I have a house under uh, under contract. I have one that's going. I have one that's uh, currently on the market, and I have one that's like just about to sell. And I always have like three to five houses at any given time because I don't want these contractors and the people around me that are like you know I'm depending on and they're depending on me. So I want to commit to them that you know I'm going to make sure that I give them enough work and and that there's enough time in the day and enough work for them in a day to fill that time. And I want to make sure that they're getting paid good and that they don't want to go anywhere because ultimately when I need them to go on to the next house, I can't afford to have the delays for them to get away. So that forces me to now buy all these houses. Now I'm leveraging, you know, half a million to a million dollars. I got all these houses sitting around. Now I have to cut the grass and shovel the snow and protect the houses and worry about if someone's going to break in and worry about if there's going to be a pipe that breaks and the house might flood or, you know, there's a sewer backup or whatever. And, and and I'm telling you, when you get in that position, uh, especially in the wintertime in Michigan, like you're going to experience these type of problems and they're going to happen when you're like not really wanting to deal with it. Like two o'clock in the morning on a, you know, a weeknight or, you know, on the weekend on Sunday at one o'clock in the afternoon when you're trying to spend time with your family. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're finding out that you had a pipe that broke and your whole basement is flooded and now you have to drop everything. Or, you know, guys are working on the house and the sewer backs up and you just got done painting the basement, you know, floor and the, the walls, or you put some finished area in there and now it's all screwed up and you have to try to, you know, go fix it. And I'll tell you this, when you're doing flips, you're not getting uh, insurance policies 
that cover you like you are when you live in a home. So you're going to have to get a vacant policy. And the vacant policy is not really going to cover you like a regular insurance policy, which in turn leads to you having to do all of this work that you weren't really anticipating. And all of that takes away from the budget that you thought you had. And then, you know, around and around you go. So, you know, I found myself in a situation where I have all these houses and I have all these guys depending on me. And now I'm spending all this extra time dealing with phone sales from Home Depot and Lowe's and Menards and you know, the roofing suppliers and guys are calling me for, you know, credit card numbers for the plumbing supply place and this and that and the other thing. And now I'm spinning around and around and around. And the, and the funny part is, is, you know, I got four houses, let's say, and I'm getting paid last on everything. So I'm paying the guy on house number four and I'm still not collecting the check from house number one because that house has to get finished sit there on the market, find a buyer, go through the uh, inspection process. Then you have to deal with that and, and whatever repairs or if there's no repairs, then you got to wait for the appraisal. And then the appraisal comes back. And sometimes that appraisal comes back pretty quick within, you know, three to five days. And other times, you know, now you're chasing down the lender on the buy side to figure out where the appraisal is at and why it's not done and how come we're waiting so long. And then you could do all that to come back with an appraisal that's low and then that deflates your sales, right? And, you know, all the wind comes out there or they come back and they have it at value and everything's cool. And then you're waiting again now to close. So during that process, I mean, from the time that you purchase the house, you fix the house, you know, you put it on the market, you find a buyer, you go through all these processes, you get the appraisal, you get to closing. I mean, that can take at minimum like 90 days and sometimes it'll push into six months. So everybody's getting paid on the newest house that I just bought because they all want to draw, but I'm not getting paid on the house that I bought, you know, four or five, six months ago. And now you're carrying these huge notes. And when the money's going in and out and in and out, you can try to be as organized as you want to, but you really never know how much money that you got. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. You really know, you don't know how much money you got and you don't, you can't really see the profit that you've made. And I mean, I had a machine, I was doing this over and over and over. And I knew I had a lot of money. Uh, I knew that it was going well, and I was making profit, but all my money from the last one is like in the next one. And then that one is in the next one. And I'm just like building it and building it and building it. Now, you know, when I sold them, did I make decent amounts of money? Yeah. I mean, I tell people all the time, like if you can make $20,000 in profit net for every $100,000 that you're doing, uh, that you're spending, you know, or doing with, you're going to, you're going to be doing okay. You know, some guys are only getting 15 and some people want to make 35, $40,000. And I'm going to tell you right now, is that impossible? No, but like, do those deals just fall out of the sky? Absolutely not. I mean, if you're trying to plan to make $30,000 on every single house that you're, you know, you know, purchasing plus, you know, if, especially if you're buying stuff for under hundred grand, I'm telling you, you're going to be sorely mistaken because Nowadays, these contractors, especially if they're not uh, dealing with you all the time and like a codependent of you, they're not going to give you a deal that's favorable enough for you to, you know, really profit that way. They're going to they're going to run your pockets. I'm telling you that right now. And <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> and I'll tell you um, the way to generate capital. If you have, you know, a business where you say you got some rentals, maybe you got an Airbnb or maybe you got a bunch of rentals and you got money coming in. And you're taking that profit and then you're turning it into maybe a flip to generate some fast cash for like another buy, then yeah, flipping can be the way. 
But if you're trying to depend on it and live on it, I'm telling you right now, especially in Michigan and my market where I'm from, there's not enough inventory for you to consistently get deals over and over and over again unless somebody, unless you personally are going to go direct to seller or you find an agent that's going to devote pretty much all their time to making sure that you get a flip because agents, unlike me, most of them, they're trying to sell whatever they can, whenever they can, and they'll sell it to whoever they got. And they're not going to prioritize you and wait on you and stuff like that because they want to get paid, especially on cash deals like flips usually are, um, you know, the agents are going to sell them out from under you most of the time, unless you're the first in line and you got the money out, you know, you may be uh, disappointed in that. So I'm just going to be honest with you. Me, I only work with a very small handful of flippers for this very reason. I can't fulfill their needs. They don't have enough inventory in the market, and they only want certain areas that they want to buy. Everybody's specific about kind of what they want to do, where they want to buy, what the price point is, how much they want to put in. So based on that, I only have a handful of them, and they all like different things, and I try to satisfy them. But when somebody new comes in and says they want to flip, it's very hard for me to find a spot for them because if you work out, that's great. But if you don't work out, I might alienate relationship with someone who I've been doing business with for you know eight years. And I'm not going to do that because everybody's relationship with me is important, whether you're new or you're old. But when somebody's been with me from day one, I'm definitely not going to sell them down the road for a new person who's going to do a flip once a year when I got a guy who's buying one every single month in a certain area. And I don't even have to uh, do work for it. I just send them a deal. They, they know exactly what they want. They know exactly how much it's going to take to fix it. And they know all their numbers. So they need one walkthrough. And then, you know, we're done and closing in a day or two or five. You know, Th these are the type of buyers that you get when you're serious and then they're serious and there's no delays and you get paid quick and and then they go on to flip and they want to get them done fast just like I did and I totally understand that because I was in that business but you know aside from that there's a lot of things you can do besides trying to flip to get the cash I mean you can buy these houses and burn them out and essentially when you're doing a burr um, you need the same numbers as you do when you're flipping, really. I mean, 50 to 60% on the dollar because you got to be all in and you have to get an appraised value. And the objective is to pull 75% of that appraised value and that 75% be more than what you have in the house or at least as much as you had in the house. And if you can do that, you know, you can buy a house, you put money down, uh, you know, say you pay cash for it, you know, you put the money into it. And then you go through, flip it, you turn around, put a tenant in there, and then you refinance it, and then you pull all your money out. Now you're recycling the same 20% you're putting down or 25% you're putting down, however you decide, over and over and over again. Then you can be liquid, you know, for the most part. You can always be liquid. And after a certain point, you'll have enough money to buy the house and still be liquid to do the renovation and still have a little bit left over. And that's where a lot of clients I have are. But I'll tell you this, like when you try to come in and use all these wonky, you know, hard money, prod, hard money products and, um, you know, you want to buy a house with a loan to then try to, you know, turn it into a burr and get a loan again. It's really difficult to do that because a bank is going to say, look, we just gave you a loan for X and now it's three months, six months later. Now, if you're using conventional financing, it's a six month seasoning period from the date that you purchased the house originally until you could refinance. But if you're using DSCR, you can do it faster. But let's say, you know, you buy a house for 75,000, you put $25,000 into it. Now you're all in for a hundred grand and then you get an appraisal, you know, for 150 grand because that's the market value. Even though that's the truth, that appraisal for a refinance is not going to come in at 150,000. Maybe on a retail sale, it will. 
um, but on a hundred fifty thousand dollar uh, turn that you're looking for on a conventional refi or let's say a DSCR refi, you might only get one hundred and thirty five or one hundred and forty. They come in traditionally; they're like at least ten percent light. And if you're basing your numbers on the retail um, appraised value, a lot of times you're not going to hit the number. So you have to be okay with maybe leaving a few bucks in the deal. But even that being said. You know, maybe you got five grand that you left in the deal on a, a deal where you might have $25,000 in the deal. I mean, it's a win, right? Because in the first year off the income alone, you, you know, you could get all or close to all of the money back that you have in if you left five grand, you know, or within the first 24 months for sure. And now you have not, not a single dollar of your own money in there and you're making rental income, you still own the house and you have a 25% equity position in it. And that equity position, especially on houses that you pick the right areas, um, that can turn into 50% really quick, you know, over a five to seven year period of time. Because we keep talking about, you know, how important it is for you to have a long-term mentality about this real estate thing and how long you need to be into it and why that is. Like I said before, in 2017 versus now, Almost every house I sold is worth double what I sold it for. And in some cases, it's worth even more. So do you want, and you have to make the determination, do you want to buy a house and turn it and flip it and take the money now and pay capital gain on it, which is a whole different subject that you need to have with your uh, CPA or your bookkeeper or whoever it is, or your mom or dad, whoever does your taxes, you got to figure out when you make this money, you know, what is the implication for taxes? Who do you got to pay? Why do you got to pay? All that good stuff. Like you need to know all that stuff because if you don't know all that stuff, you're going to get a check and you're going to think, oh, wow, I just made 30, 40 grand or 25 grand. You're going to go about your day and then you're going to go to your accountant and they're going to say, hey, this income, you have to pay taxes on it. And you might find out that the IRS man wants, you know, 30, 40,000 dollars from you at the end of the year, which has happened to me more than one time. And when I was flipping houses, I had this idea in my mind that if I had enough inventory that I could keep everybody around me consistently on my projects and there would be no delays. But that's not what happens. They start knowing that you're over leveraged and they start coming in later, showing up later, leaving earlier, never working a weekend, refusing to stay late, you know, and, and they get real comfortable real quick, especially when they know you're leveraged and especially when they keep on getting draws at, from you. And of course, you you create friendships and you like each other and you want to make sure everybody's happy and you get to know them and their families. and You want to make sure that they're taken care of and, you know, holidays and stuff like that come along or, you know, they experience certain things in their life and they come to you as a friend and ask you if you can help them out. Next thing you know, they're into you for five, 10 grand for car repairs, or they go to jail or get arrested for, you know, child support stuff. I mean, there's so many different things. And I could do five, 10 shows just on excuses or things that have happened that have screwed up my money. Um, you know, as an investor, I could do hours of content on the excuse making or on the actual weird things that happen at the worst times. I mean, it's just, you can go on and on, but I made the mistake of depending on these people, and then they slow up and then you have less productive environment and you're doing less and everybody's getting paid. And then here you are holding the whole entire thing. Like you're holding the notes, you're holding all of the rehab costs, you're holding the amount of money that the houses, if they're paid for with cash, you're, you know, you got all the money in cash for buying it. You have all the money in cash for paying the contractors to fix it, all the money in cash for, you know, putting in all the materials that are needed. And you have to be devoted to it. You have to have a game plan. You have to put thought into the design strategy and what colors you're going to use and how your kitchens are going to look and what kind of granite. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. So that's why I always tell people the way to success is buying and buying and holding. 
you know, you, if you can find a house that you can pull off doing a flip on, you need some quick cash to put into another deal. I'm okay with that, but that's after you build up, you know, three, four, five, ten rental properties and you got money coming in, you got money going out, you're seeing uh, your work come to fruition and you're making money off it and you got you know steady income and you're paying the bills and you're watching the money go in and out and it feels good and you know that you're doing right. Once you have that, you can then go and focus on maybe one flip or something like that. And if you hit a lick real quick and you get a good one, you can make a good chunk of money and it helps you put down on a loan for another house or, or to do something that you want to do or make improvements to a house that you currently have so that you can burr out of it or for you to take, you know, money from a flip to put into another house to burr it, um, you know, and pull cash to do something else. I mean, buy yourself, you know, something that you want, because at, at the end of the day, like we're not all doing this to like never spend a dollar, right? You want to have some, the finer things in life. Everybody does. I mean, that's why guys like me have, you know, a, a barn, literally a barn full of, you know, four wheelers and, you know, side by sides and all this stuff. And I got, you know, a 30 foot boat and a 20 foot boat and all this shit. And it's just sitting around and I'm using it all and it's all cool. But like, this is how I've done that. You know, I got all my bills paid. I make chunks of money or whatever. And I invested into my quote unquote business, right? Cause I need certain things for my quote unquote business. And that's legal for me to do you know, and, and I don't want to just like die on a pile of money, right? I want to have things that are special and whatever, and have fun and be able to, you know, take my wife four wheeling or whatever. You know, I don't need excuses. I do what I want to, cause I'm an entrepreneur and you can too. Right. But the point is don't try to base your whole uh, strategy on being a flipper because it's not going to work out. You know, you're going to constantly be chasing your tail and it's going to be very difficult for you to find enough houses to really make money because at the end of the day, you know, on average, if you're trying to flip in Detroit, like you're only going to make 20 to $30,000 per flip. And like I said earlier, you know, if you're getting one out every 90 days, like think about that, that's 80 grand, you know, maybe it's 120 grand, but then you're paying big capital gain on that. If you're trying to take that money and spend it, you're, you're getting killed by the IRS on that unless you figure out a better way. And that's for another day. But, uh, you know, you, you essentially would have to flip a house every single month for that to be lucrative. And I'm going to tell you right now, I know guys, that's all they do is flip. And those guys are taking all the deals you think you're going to get because everybody knows that they're the person to go to to sell a house real quick. And they're not going to sacrifice their relationship with them to sell you a house when that guy wants it. And you got a whole bunch of that guy around town and that guy's just eating the stuff up and you're lucky to get the crumbs. So you got to be, you know, you got to be on it when you have your chance, but you have to say, okay, you know, this is a marathon, not a sprint. I'm going to buy these houses. I'm going to hold them. I'm going to make equity. I'm going to make passive income. I'm going to get, you know, increases in my rents and be focused on that. So that at the end of the day, the name of the game is owning as much real estate as you can. Flipping doesn't accomplish that. It's a short-term solution, um, you know, to, to for different strategies that, like I had mentioned, but it's a short-term solution. Buying and holding property is a long-term solution, and you make money just like you're the stock market, right? You're making passive income, but you're also gaining an appreciation, and if you buy in the right areas, you can double down in a very short period of time, like three to five years, and you're making money when you sleep, you know, and you're not even working for it, and at the end of the day, I believe the person who owns the land gets the gold, and these flippers, all it takes, all it takes is for the market to go sideways, it one drop, you know, you buy a house and you think if I buy for a hundred, I put 20 in, it's worth 150, you know, and I pay real estate commission and title and whatever, I can make 20 grand. And then the market drops. 
10% or we have some kind of a COVID thing that goes on again. You never know because no one ever thought that was going to happen, did they? Did you really believe they are going to shut the country down or the state of Michigan where, like, you couldn't even leave your home? Did anyone really believe that? Because I know I didn't. And uh, to this day, you know, I, I, I personally wasn't sitting home that whole time. I'll just tell you that. So, um, but if you're out of state and you're buying stuff and you're trying to flip from afar, I mean, it creates all these new challenges. So the thing I want to just cross my point is I keep getting all these investors and they're asking me to like put them on list to give them flips. And I'm like, every time I hear that, it makes me uncomfortable because once you start going through all that and you start doing the flip, like I can only refer you to people who I know, and there's only so many of them. And after that, you're going to have to seek alternative contractors or alternative services. And that's where you can really get burned too, because you don't know these people and guys are taking deposits and running off all the time. And you know, it happens, it happens to the best of us. I can't, if I told you it didn't happen to me, I'd be lying. Right. I mean, everybody experiences this. So that's why I try to tell people if you're buying and holding, I can put you in a system where I have people that work for me consistently that I can keep an eye on and stuff like that. But when you start stepping outside of the boundaries and doing these flips, you have to start seeking other people to, you know, assist you. And, and that's where the problem starts coming in. If it goes sideways, there's nothing I can really do to help you. Um, and, and there's nothing that you can really do to help you because you're not here most of the time. And even if you do get an attorney, you try to sue, you try to go to small claim all that stuff. I I'm telling you from out of state, a lot of people, they start getting involved in that and they start realizing like, I just don't want to spend this time anymore dealing with it. And I'm just going to eat it and move on and they get smarter. But that's how these guys are continuously able to, um, you know, take money from people and they pop up and they pop out of the picture and they pop back in and they set up a new company with a new name and, and this and that and the other thing. And sometimes they hit a big lick and then they run off and no one ever hears from them again. It's like they disappeared. Um, but at the end of the day, I like to give everybody their, um, you know, a good dose of reality and a good dose of reality is can you survive as a flipper? Yes, arguably. Do you want to? I don't recommend it. I know I personally have flipped lots and lots of houses, like over 500 of them in my career. And I don't ever want to flip houses as a full-time means to make money in real estate. I don't think that it's a long-term solution. I think it's a Band-Aid. And I think that if you're holding and you continue to hold and you can have the land and the house that sits on it, time after time again, down the road, it's going to outperform almost any investment that you make, including your 401k, your Roth IRA, any kind of stock trading you're going to do, unless you got some insider advice or you know how to day trade. Like some guys I know, they know how to day trade really well and they win most of the time, but they lose too. And in real estate, I've not really taken losses um, over the time that I've done this. There's been you know bumps in the road. Um, because we all have them, but I've, I've never been negative on anything I've ever done in real estate collectively over the course of a year. I could lose, I mean, there was a year I lost $50,000 on a flip, $50,000 at the end of the year, I was still up hundreds of thousands of dollars. So I knew I lost on that and it sucked. And I still really am upset when I think about it to this day, but 
at the end of the year, I had done so many things. I was still profitable by hundreds of thousands of dollars. So it didn't really kill me um, to lose that way, but I would never want to let that happen again. And that was a, a collection of things that happened where we bought something in an area that did not scale like we thought. We put more money into it than we really should have. And then we got a really bad appraisal on it. And then we put it back up for sale and we you know, took an FHA buyer. And we got stuck with that appraiser, and the next appraisal uh, was related to that FHA appraisal, and the next buyer, we were stuck with it. And ultimately, we were getting into a time where I had to take the the offer, and I had to close on that deal for less, and we, at the end of the day, we lost our ass on that one. And uh, it happens to the best of us, but collectively over the course of the year, you know, I didn't lose uh, you know, as a broad number and everything I did, but anytime that you take a loss, it's like a punch to the face. And, uh, some people can take a good punch to the face and some people will drop like a rock. You got to figure out what kind of person that you are. But anyway, I appreciate you joining me today. Uh, we tried, uh, filming this on video as well, uh, and, and, and recording back here in Shinebox studio. My name's David Rabior, Detroit buy, hold, invest. You can reach me at 313-451-0448. Go to www.detroitbuyholdinvest.com. If you want to visit my website, you can find us on Spotify. You can find us on Apple podcasts, Amazon music, pretty much anywhere that you look. You'll find Detroit by Holding Best. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day, and thanks for joining the show.